Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. The November elections are now just about three weeks away, and although there are no national or state-level races, voters are going to be making really important decisions about who will represent them at the local level. There will also be all kinds of local ballot questions. If you don't know what's on your ballot this November, you can find all of that information on the Michigan Secretary of State's Voter Information Center at michigan.gov vote. You can also find all of WDET's robust elections coverage at wdet.org vote. We are going to talk all hour today about local elections here in Southeast Michigan. A little later, I'm going to talk with Citizen Detroit CEO and former Detroit City Council member Sheila Cockrell about the importance of local elections no matter where we live. These are elections that affect our lives really directly, and too many people don't know when they're taking place, what's on the ballot, or they don't do the research into who they should be choosing, what they should be voting for. We live in a democracy, and a big part of that democracy depends on us, citizens, doing our part. But before we get to the larger discussion about local elections here in Southeast Michigan, Detroiters are going to be electing a new city council next month. There are three open seats on council and at least one of the race that might be very close. That's a lot out of the nine seats that exist on Detroit City Council. And it's all happening amid serious concerns about a growing corruption scandal on city council. How many times have we been able to say that in the city of Detroit. Here to talk about all of that are two reporters who have been following it all really closely. Eli Newman covers Detroit city government for us here at WDET. Eli, welcome to the studio. Thanks for having me on. Also with us is Christine Ferretti. She covers Detroit city hall for the Detroit news. Christine, welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. How are you? So Eli, I'm going to start with you. Bring us up to speed on what's happening with concerns about the corruption scandal on council. There have been some charges. There has been at least one resignation. And now FBI raids on the homes and offices of some other council members. What's going on? Yeah, so what we know thus far is that there's a sweeping uh, corruption probe uh, called Operation Northern Hook. Um, like you just mentioned, uh, we have uh, council members, Janae Ayers and Scott Benson. Uh, their homes and offices at City Hall were recently raided by the FBI. Um, federal investigators looking for a slew of, of various uh, documents there. And and that was happening oh, weeks before we had this federal indictment uh, come on former council member Andre Spivey, who, like you said, uh, resigned um, at pleading guilty to bribery charges, uh, having admitted to taking um, close to $36,000 in um, uh, in bribes uh, over the course of a four-year period. Now, of course, earlier this year, we also had the resignation of uh, another council member, uh, Gabe Leland. He uh, uh, pled, uh, pleaded guilty to um, state charges of misconduct in office. So there's been a whole... Uh, 
uh, range of, of various uh, kind of malfeasance issues that, that have happened in uh, city government leading up to this next election. And, and I want to give our listeners a sense of what this is actually all about. We always talk about these things in terms of the consequences, who's been charged, who's accused, who maybe is convicted or, or is resigning. We don't really talk as much about what it is that the authorities are looking into. What is the nature of the issues that, uh, that, that the FBI is interested in here? Well, federal investigators are pretty tight-lipped about sure. these things until you know we, we see these things um, come up in court. But what we do know is that um, um, from from the the plea that um, a former councilman Spivey made that it, it is related to towing contracts, which is uh, you know various um, uh, deals with different uh, towing industry figures there. So uh, there's been a, a, lo- a long-standing issue with towing in Detroit. I mean, anybody who has had their car towed could probably tell you about all the issues that they encounter in terms of paying off um, th- those tickets and actually reacquiring the car. And it's a very lucrative um, service that the, that, um, the city is involved with. Um, so we know that it's related to that industry. How exactly it manifested, I mean, we're learning more and more day to day, but uh, g- generally it is about this particular issue. And um, we've also seen um, that uh, federal investigators are also looking into certain campaign finance um, issues as well. So how the two are connected, that picture is clearing up um, as time goes on. But it's safe to say that there is uh, likely a connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Christine, I want to bring you in the conversation here and and have you compare for us what we're seeing now with these corruption charges with what we've seen in the past. Of course, corruption (laughs) is nothing new here in the city of Detroit. It's also nothing new in southeast Michigan. We should make that point as well. You can go up to Macomb County uh, and visit lots of former public officials who are now in prison uh, over a, a massive scandal there that was uh, brought to uh, to light by the FBI in recent years. But it's been a long time since we've seen this level of concern about corruption in the city of Detroit and specifically with uh, with city council. So, so g- give us some context here and comparison. And then also, uh, give us a sense of where Mayor Mike Duggan fits into this conversation. Of course, he has not been implicated in any of this, but he is the mayor of the city. He works closely with the council. This has got to be disruptive for him as well. Right. Uh, thanks, Stephen. A lot of ground to cover. Um, I will make a, a point of clarification. I, I have about maybe eight years of a history covering you know, City Hall for Detroit. Most recently, um, I'm overseeing now the team that does cover it currently. Mm-hmm. So I'm still, um, you know, well connected because I, the reporting staff we have, I work closely with them on these developments. Um, and kind of, you know, elaborating a little further off of what Eli mentioned, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, what might be going on right now and kind of how, how that plays in historically um, with towing, right? We've seen a lot with towing for years. We've seen people you know, come under scrutiny, you know, leaving their roles with the police department and other other jobs because of former issues that kind of ensnared them in this issue. And that's kind of what we're hearing now. We're hearing that, you know, there's at least a few personnel with the department that, that are likely, you know, wrapped up in this, more charges are imminent. So um, just to make that 
clarification. You know, there's allegations that, you know, there's a lieutenant suspected of getting, you know, um, a free vehicle, you know, dealing with towing industry figures and, you know, demanding money and steering work to favored firms. I mean, so there's a lot of that going on. Um, and, you know, you, you talk about the mayor and kind of what he's saying here. And as you mentioned, you know, he hasn't been named as anybody accused of wrongdoing in this. Um, but I think <clears throat> the mayor pretty quickly on this, after these raids, he came out within the next day and did speak publicly about, you know, his concerns about the towing industry and that it's like kind of a breeding ground for corruption. And, um, you know, we've seen a lot of things come together since then, hmm. you know, on the city council level with the police chief being ordered to implement reforms. So, um, you know, I guess people can take from it what they will, but, you know, you, you have seen some very public facing, you know, address of how we're going to be potentially dealing with this. Mm -hmm. And it's not new. It's not new. I mean, the city's, you know, inspector general has cracked down on firms over the years for, you know, issues they've had and they've debarred people. So it's not a surprising area of concern. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do want to talk about the races, the elections in mm -hmm. these various council districts and the, and the at large seats. There's a lot in play, as I see it, uh, in in these places. Uh, Christine, let's start with uh, the at large seats. Sure. Janae Ayers, who's one of the council members who had uh, her office raided, um, is running again for one of the at large mm -hmm. seats. Brenda Jones, who's the current council president and one of the at-large members is not seeking re-election. Um, but Janaire has just got a few more votes, really, in the primary than former mm -hmm. state senator Coleman Young II. So what does that race look like now, and what do we, what do we think might happen? Well, in general, I mean, this is a monumental city council election. Um, for the first time since around bankruptcy, we're seeing a guarantee of at least four new members. Mm -hmm. I mean, people, some of the longtime incumbents, like you said, Brenda Jones, she's she's stepping back. She's done for now. And, um, you know, she's got a lot of institution, institutional knowledge. Um, so for at large specifically, um, you know, as you mentioned, some of the players here, you know, we have Janae Ayers, who, um, you know, is seeking her second elected term on at large. Coleman Young, we know him from his service, you know, in state, uh, you know, the legislature. And he ran against the uh, incumbent mayor last cycle. And then we have Mary Waters, who is a former legislator. And then we have Nicole Small, who is known from her role with the voter-installed Charter Commission. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about, you know, Janae and how this investigation, this federal investigation might impact her, first of all, as we've probably noted, you know, she has not been charged with anything. Nobody on, yet on her staff has faced any type of official allegation. Um, and when you talk to voters, you kind of get a mixed, you know, response, right? Some people feel like, you know, I've backed her. She's done well. And this doesn't shake me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I believe, you know, she's not charged with anything. I'm going to stand by her for now, you know, and see how this plays out. Um, and I think voters, like you hinted at at the beginning, I mean, we've seen you know, things like this throughout the decades in Detroit. And I think people, you know, either aren't engaged enough or they feel, you know, they're going to wait and see. So I think the consensus is sort of like, you know, Janae probably still has a good 
shot here. Mm-hmm. And and so so does Coleman Young, based on you know his his history and the awareness of him, his name recognition. But you know, people also feel that perhaps Janae should be standing up more vocal about what's going on and address it publicly. And I think that's one complaint you hear is, why haven't we heard from her? Why is she being silent on that? Hmm. You know, on social media, she's still out there, you know, promoting her agenda and, you know, the things that matter to her in this campaign. And, you know, that's out there. She's still, you know, for the most part, she missed some meetings in the last, uh, you know, week. But, you know, she's going to council meetings. She's casting votes. She's speaking out, you know. So that's an issue, I think, that, People wonder if that would have an impact. Hmm. Should she be publicly ad- addressing this? Yeah, uh, Eli, what do you make of uh, the at-large seats? One of the things that I think is really interesting ab- about those contests is that it does it does frame the kind of old versus new narrative in Detroit politics. You've got some up-and-comers who. Um, uh, who, who kind of throw back to the the, the more uh, aggressive and and uh, angry politics, I guess, of, of of Detroit that we used to to see all the time. You've got folks like Janae Ayers, who I think, uh, in all fairness, represent a, a real departure from from that approach. And then you've got Coleman Young II, who uh, obviously has an incredible family legacy in in Detroit politics, but also has made a real name for himself. Uh, in the state, in the state legislature, uh, what, what do you make of all all of that? Well, I think just looking at the numbers coming out of this last primary that we just had, we had a fourteen percent voter turnout, and I, I think uh, talking with the the city clerk's office, those numbers aren't expected to improve that much coming into this next election. I'd be surprised if it cracked above uh, like 20%. Hmm. So I think given that we have these familiarity of these names um, for various different reasons, and uh, an electorate that isn't necessarily challenging the status quo, I, I think uh, what Christine was saying, I think that's a fair assessment of where things will, will play out, that the, the incumbents in this race are having a... Uh, a they have a remarkable hedge over um, th- those challenging them for their seats. And speaking of that, that um, at-large race, I mean, you go around, drive any of the freeways around the city, and you will see a billboard of Janae Ayers. Yes. Um, and th- those are ads that are, are billboards that are bought and paid for by a group called Our Neighborhoods First, which is a... Um, uh, a 501c4 social welfare n- a nonprofit, which we know is also part of the um, the focus that uh, FBI investigators have have been looking into. Now, I'm not saying that these groups are necessarily Im- implicated, but there is some question about you know where the money behind those ads do come from, and I think there might be a broader question that some some voters have about where um, who's paying you know f- for these kinds of ads. And who who's supporting um, um, uh, this council member at this race? And and again, um, lo- looking back on on some of these more recent uh, c- uh, city council meetings, um, where we did have um, uh, a, a suite of reform for the the towing ordinance. That that was a, um, a city council um, ordinance that passed 
unanimously six to zero. Mm. Um, council, uh, council member Ayers was not present for that meeting. So I think there are certain lingering questions that um, voters in the city do have towards this race. But generally speaking, because of, of the pandemic and just the the lack of uh, face that I think most um, of the electorate is having with their elected members. I mean, we're still in an era where, you know, actually going down to City Hall and watching these meetings take place, that's not ha- that won't be happening until uh, ne- at least next year. Hmm. So so those opportunities haven't really uh, come to fruition for, for, for many people. So I think t- time, time will tell, but I think generally speaking, incumbents have, have a, a pretty solid lead on this one. Hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about Detroit City Council races. We're going to start looking at some of the district races around the city. I'm going to keep uh, Eli Newman and Christine. Also want to start to hear from you, the listeners. What are some of the issues on your mind as you get ready to vote in next month's elections? What are the big races and local ballot questions where you are? We're talking about Detroit and City Council right now, but you may live someplace that there are other things going on. We want to hear about what those are, uh, what's on your mind when it comes to the elections in a few weeks. And are you optimistic about the prospect for change and better representation uh, as we all go to the ballot box? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always... Thanks for tuning in. My guests are Eli Newman, who covers Detroit City Government here at uh, WDET. Also, Christine Ferretti, who oversees uh, City Hall coverage for the Detroit News. We're talking about the Detroit City Council elections, in which we are going to get at least four new members of City Council. A pretty significant turnover. Uh, lots of uh, lots of. Controversy swirling around the council these days because of some uh, resignation uh, and uh, some raids on council members' homes and offices that suggest there is a pretty big scandal brewing. Uh, we want to hear from you as well during this conversation. We're talking all hour about local elections. What's going on in your neck of the woods? What are you thinking about as we get closer to November 2nd, which is election day this year? Uh, what's going on in your community? What races are capturing your attention? What candidates are capturing your attention, whether you live here in the city of Detroit or anywhere in southeast Michigan? Also, give us a sense of how much attention you usually pay to local elections. I feel like a lot of us don't pay as much attention to those as we do to state or national contests. Uh, of course, local Politicians, though, are the ones who have the most direct effect on our lives. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, uh, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. 
and uh, we'll work into the conversation. Uh, Eli and Christine, I want to start with uh, Scott Benson, who is running unopposed in his election, despite the FBI raid at his home as part of this probe. Uh, give us a sense of what's going on in that east side district. Eli? Yeah, um, l- like you said, um, uh, C- Council Member Benson is running unopposed. Um, I-, I think Benson ha- has really made a name for himself for being somebody who is uh, pro-development, um, who's um, in lockstep with a lot of uh, the administration's desires for um, the city of Detroit in terms of it, its its services. Um, We've seen him come out uh, in in support of of, of various you know contracts about uh, whether it's the strategic neighborhood fund um, with uh, the various streetscapes that are going on around the city. Uh, th- these are things that um, Councilmember uh, uh, Benson ha- has supported throughout the tenure of of his um, career at Detroit City Hall. Mm. Uh, Christine, what do you make um, of uh, that district? Yeah, I mean, I think. The thing is, there's a couple people who have filed to be official write-ins, but, you know, that's that's typically a pretty heavy lift. Um, and one is, uh, his name is Stephen Shelton, and he um, is a forward worker, I believe, and then Adam Mundy, who has been involved in, in uh, council, you know, offices and work there. Um, so, you know, you're kind of seeing these two step forward to try to do a write-in campaign. Um, but I, I think Eli's correct. I mean, Benson has done things to kind of establish, you know, a reputation there with a lot of people. Um, you know, he's kind of championed efforts to preserve, you know, city airport. He's taken a pretty vocal stance on um, a lot of the controversial debates before over, like, you know, the community benefits. And he, you know, stepping forward on that and taking, you know, a role in how that, that legislation would be playing out. And it's interesting right now, you know, you talk about how Janae was absent the other day for the towing vote. And quite the opposite, Benson chairs the committee that was handling that legislation. Mm -hmm. And he did vote favorably for it, saying, you know, I felt it was my duty. I chair that commission or that committee and, you know, shepherding it through. So, again, he's not charged with anything, although he was, you know, he's being looked at in um, in this investigation as well. So it, it's not held him back from taking votes on matters that he thinks are important. Hmm. And he's spoken very, a little bit about it, too. She's been more silent. He told us, the Detroit News, you know, I don't engage in criminality. It's kind of like his position on it. So, you know, you feel like you're hearing from him. Both of them are still visible. So, I mean, I think it would be pretty tough, you know, to unseat the incumbent. Yeah. But you know, we'll see if, if these write-ins gain any traction as they go forward. And of course, there is the specter, and I don't want to—I don't want to uh, uh, suggest that this is an inevitability. But if Janae Ayers and Scott Benson were both reelected and then indicted by the F, uh, by the U.S. Attorney, that that would throw those seats back into into some flux. I mean. It, it, the election matters because that's how we choose the people who are going to represent us. But there are also rules and laws that suggest that if you're facing criminal charges uh, in, in the seat that you can't you can't do it. And so I, it seems like Election Day is just maybe the beginning of what happens 
to those two seats. Uh, I, I want to move over just a little bit uh, you know, on the east side and talk about what's going on in uh, in the district where Council Member Andre Spivey resigned because he was uh, indicted on bribery char- charges. Uh, Letitia Johnson and uh, mm-hmm. a former colleague of mine, Mike Elric from the Detroit Free Press, are both running for that seat. That seems like maybe the hottest contest in the city. There was a debate last week hosted by uh, a podcast called Authentically Detroit uh, that, that that featured these two that, these two candidates. It was really interesting. Uh, Christine, what what do we know about this district and this contest? I agree with you. I do think that this has been, you know, the standout district where you're seeing the most activity. Um, you know, some people would characterize it as kind of a quiet election. But, um, you know, District 4 has has kind of made some noise. I mean, um, Elric, as we're all, you know, kind of familiar, I mean, he's he's been very um, vocal in a way others have not. I mean, even as recently as when we had, you know, the Mackinac Conference, you know, he came out with, you know, a proposal for how he wants to boost accountability, you know, reform the ethics. Mm-hmm. policies of the city, you know, not have elected officials have city cars. And, you know, like he, he's pretty outspoken there. And, um, you know, I think that gains ground. Plus, you know, during the primary, we had a more packed field and we had a candidate, um, for example, Tucson Knight. He's well-regarded, well-connected in the community, does a lot for the youth um, involved with the school district. And he has come out saying, I believe that he backs you know, ML Elric, so that, you know, gets some more attention on it. And Johnson, you know, she took on Spivey last cycle, I believe. And it was it was a it wasn't super close, but you know, she did well. So um I think she's well known in the community too, you know, for her work there. And so this does kind of set up an interesting race. And like you said, there's there was a debate. There have been some candidate forums throughout, but this to me is is a very, you know, interesting race. And based on the history of what's happened with that seat and what's happened with um, the councilman who entered a plea and, and left his his office, you know, um, this is an important, really important district mm. for the city. Yeah. Um, Eli, I want to talk about District 6, which is where Raquel Castaneda Lopez was first elected as the first Latina uh, representative here in the city of Detroit that that was made possible because we went to district representation in 2013 for the first time in almost a hundred years. Uh, she decided she's not going to seek re-election this time. So what do we know about the two candidates hoping to fill her seat, both also Latino, uh, Hector Santiago and Gabriela Santiago Romero? So, uh, Gabriela Santiago Romero um, recently got the endorsement of Mayor Mike Duggan the other day. Uh, he was asked about um, various issues kind of related to dark money, and uh, and in those statements, he kind of came out in, in support of uh, Gabriela Santiago Romero, who I think is also uh, positioning herself as among uh, maybe to continue uh, part of that trajectory that Councilmember uh, Castaneda Lopez has set the district on um, kind of progressive um, 
more, more uh, so, social well, welfare based. Um, we've seen her um, also kind of camp do a lot of like dual campaigning with uh, Denzel McCampbell, who is is running for for City Clark to unseat um, Janice Winfrey. Um, so I think there's a lot of interest in, in what that seat is, considering uh, how. Um, all the development that is going on in that area. So I, I think it will, it will be interesting to see um, what, what goes on between that and with, with, with Hector Santiago. I mean, both of, both of them are, are Southwest Detroit natives. Um, and I think it's uh, interesting to see kind of how they're each going to kind of, you know, take that characteristic and um, uh, to voters and uh, how that will turn out for them. Mm. Uh, Christine, yeah, go ahead, Christine. I hear you. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I agree. I think it's really interesting. Um, like with with um, Gabrielle, like she was she was kind of selected, like kind of handpicked in a sense by Raquel for this position. I believe she said that you know others that inspired her were Stephanie Chang and Rashida Tlaib, our congresswoman. So you know she was kind of getting that support from them. Hector has an interesting story. Like we wrote about him recently. And part of his motivation to run was he was in the city's program for clean slates. Like, you know, he had a rec- a criminal record. Mm-hmm. He got that figured out and it really inspired him. You know, he thought, you know, this is a motivating factor for me. You know, this is something that I've worried about held me back. And now, you know, I can, I can get out there. And I think this is um, something that resonates with people in the city. I mean, you know, they, they see that, they see that people have their struggles and, you know, it makes people more real and it makes them more relatable. So, I do think also that that's, you know, that's a pretty interesting race to yeah. fill that seat. Yeah. Uh, and the last race that really has, I think, people's attention is where in uh, District 7, where Gabe Leland lost his seat, uh, resigned his seat uh, after being after pleading guilty to misconduct in office. You've got former state representative Fred Durhall III and Regina Ross running uh, to fill that seat. Uh, Christine, what do we know about those candidates? Well, I mean, I think with Durrell, you know, it's like, I think people kind of assume like that name recognition and his background is going to kind of get him everywhere. Um, Ross, you know, she's, she, from what I recall, I believe she's run in past cycles um, and she does seem to have, you know, some backing and support as well. Um, but, you know, I think the consensus is, you know, in Detroit, name recognition usually gives you an edge. And so there's a thought that he might, you know, edge her out there. But, you know, it seems that they both have a history and people know know of them and have known of either candidacy or service. So, you know, it's, but like you said, it's another district where you've lost your council person and it's been a bad situation. So, you know, some voters... You know, Eli talked about the turnout expectations. I mean, there's some apathy, you know, and so that's a challenge for for people, too. Yeah. Yeah. Eli, what do we know about uh, District 7 where Gabe Leland used to represent uh, Detroiters? Well, I I think um, one of the things that I I wanted to return to is is this idea that – an indictment kind of shaking the foundation of, of what goes on in city council. I mean, we knew with that with um, Gabe Leland, when he received his federal indictment, he was able to remain on city council for well over two years before he took any kind of plea. So this idea that, you know, any kind of federal interference might kind of disrupt these things, 
council members are still able to do their jobs mm -hmm. until they admit any kind of criminal culpability. So um, I'd like to think that the member, that the electorate in District 7 is going to be looking at their two candidates and wondering um, about accountability and transparency um, as to not kind of repeat, the, I think, what we've seen in the past um, with, with that with that seat. Because at the end of the day, there there is a, uh, um, when you, there was like a shadow of of uh, of doubt, kind of thing, cast on city council mm -hmm. when when um, members are able to kind of still hold on to their seats when they're being investigated for all sorts of kind of corruption charges, and still making really um, important um, council decisions mm -hmm. on on ordinances, on on contracts, multi million dollar deals. I think those are the kinds of things that people. Um, are, are maybe scrutinizing a little bit more kind of with the most recent history of, of where we're at right now. Yeah. Okay. Eli Newman and Christine Ferretti, it was really great to have both of you here to help us uh, understand what's going on in these city council races. We appreciate your time, but also appreciate the, the great coverage that uh, you're involved in. Make sure Detroiters know what they're facing when they get to the ballot boxes on November 2nd. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by one of my favorite Detroiters, former member of Detroit City Council and current CEO of Citizen Detroit, Sheila Cockrell, is going to join us. We're going to talk about why elections, local elections in particular, are so important to follow no matter where you live. We'll be back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm on 019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. National and statewide elections are the ones that usually get us most excited to cast ballots in November. And candidates are often national figures who command hours of attention across all of our media platforms. The issues involved are ones that represent major cultural fault lines in our society but it's still true, even in 2021, that the elections that have the biggest effect on you and your life are actually local elections. And despite that, here in Detroit, turnout for the August primary elections this year was just 14%. Those numbers are dismal just about anywhere you look in off-year elections, which is when we make so many of those important decisions about who represents us in City Hall, and about ballot questions that could have big policy implications where we live. We're going to spend the rest of the hour today talking about why it's so important to be paying attention and to cast your ballot in local elections. And again, a reminder that if you don't know what's on your ballot this year, you can find that information as well as your polling location, local drop box locations, and information about casting an absentee ballot at michigan.gov slash vote. And you can also find all of WDET's elections coverage at WDET.org slash vote. 
Joining me now to talk about the importance of local elections and our participation in them is Sheila Cockrell. She's the CEO of Citizen Detroit and a former Detroit City Council member herself. Uh, Sheila, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen, it's great to be here. Good to, good to, well, I don't see you, but good to be with you. I know. Soon we will be <laughs> maybe having people back in the studio here. I hear <laughs> you. Across from me. <laughs> so so I, I, of course, can't uh, start anywhere other than with the current issue surrounding corruption on the Detroit City Council and their effect on these elections. You were a longtime member of the Detroit City Council. You were there during the scandal that engulfed the administration of former Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick. I wonder what you make of what we're seeing right now. Well, I, I think it's, uh, first of all, I think I have the historical context, not that there's any, no one should take solace in this, but <clears throat> corruption in local government in Detroit is not a recent, it's not a 21st century uh, phenomenon. I mean, we know that this goes back, that there has been corruption in City Hall um, periodically, going back at least for sure to the 1930s. Um, but so that again, nothing to take solace in, but mm-hmm. to appreciate that that's uh, that this is sort of a a situation that has never all, all the eff- efforts at ethics ordinances and uh, transparency uh, have not been able to um, f- you know totally alter that that culture. So the the situation is, is I guess my biggest concern right now is that I was very surprised that the federal government. Um, made did the raids when they did this close to an election cycle. I, I know that in, in the Kilpatrick situation, there was very clear guidance that there was there was not going to be any charging done within sixty days of an election mm-hmm. uh, because the thing and that was charging actual charging, um, you know, with crimes raids. You know, you hate making these kinds of distinctions, but in terms of people's reputations and 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 um, standing, it is important. A raid doesn't mean anything happened. A raid means that they that there is some with this individual person that there is that something uh, piqued the um, interest of the feds, and they need to collect additional information. It could be a wiretap phone call in which something was said that led uh, you know members of the uh, federal government to think they needed to further investigate, which is their right, indeed their duty. Mm-hmm. The question of doing it when you're in the middle of an election cycle is troubling to me because it has become a dynamic and a factor at play mm-hmm. in the uh, in the election cycle here, and it is given the history of what's going on in the council, certainly in my era, and apparently continuing in this new era, which, of course, as we all know, council by district was supposed to solve the problem of corruption. Uh, clearly, that in and of itself has not done so. Um, but the it, it does throw uh, a shadow over people and is going to affect how people, some people choose to, to choose to behave. And it's unfortunate because nobody has been, of the two people whose houses were raided and offices raided, no one's been charged with a crime, let alone convicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, it is unfortunate, but it is the reality. And people who are, are you know, engaged in electoral politics um, have to just deal with the hand they're dealt. 
and uh, make the best of it and make their case to the people as to why they are the right person to represent the best interests of the people of the city of Detroit. Yeah. Uh, so I, I want to talk a little about the effect on voters that this yeah. has. Uh, and or, Orlando Bailey, who is uh, the engagement director at Bridge Detroit and the host co-host of the podcast Authentically Detroit that hosted a city council debate in District 4 uh, mm-hmm. last week with, with uh, Mike Elric and Letitia Johnson. He's asking about the the kind of trauma, I guess, that comes with the sudden loss of an elected representative, in which we have in District 4 and District 7 right now because Gabe Leland and Andre Spivey both had to re- resign because of uh, the charges against them. Does that, sure. does that make it more likely that people will turn out to vote for somebody different or does it depress turnout because it sort of reinforces the idea in people's minds that, well, it, it, it doesn't matter. They're, they're all they're all corrupt anyway. I think that's a really uh, important question. And I fear that the net result of cultures of corruption is that it incentivizes people to not vote, to not participate, uh, to believe that, you know, everybody is corrupt. And that sort of feeds a sort of this national framework where it's very, you know, people, people's belief that people who run for public office see themselves as public servants, as opposed to ways to line your, you know, your personal uh, pocket um, have over time has really changed. People do do not trust that politicians mean what they say and say what they mean Mm. in general. And when you bring this down to a local level and you have a situation where sort of the the political culture um, basically does not encourage people to to participate on the on the basis of ideas and you know understanding process and procedure, but rather looking at personalities, it does I think serve to depress people, uh, people's willingness to vote. And I think in some cases, voters get feel, you know, connected to the folks that they've elected. Mm -hmm. And when somebody, you know, like ends up, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Ends up um, pleading guilty. It makes makes people feel like I'm not a good judge of character. Mm. I really liked X. I thought they were really working for me. And look what happened. I guess I really don't know how to assess people. And that makes people feel very insecure. My my argument is that be all of that as it may, at the end of the day, whatever community you live in, voting for your local elected officials, my opinion is just as important as who you vote for for president, because these are the group of people whose decisions, whose interests they reflect and represent are going to affect the absolute quality of life that you live in your community, in your in your neighborhood, on your street. And it's really important to know who candidates are and to participate. You know, one of the things with Citizen Detroit that we found out early on was that the lack of che- of, of the teaching of civics, you know, in, in our sure. school systems, yeah impacted people's view of whether it was why it even mattered to mattered to vote in a local election. I think that is something that needs to be addressed starting in the high schools. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, the number here on the phones is always is 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what you're thinking about in advance of the November 2nd elections. 
local elections all across Southeast Michigan, making really important decisions about uh, about our lives and our governance. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. Let's start with Ed in Detroit. Ed, welcome to the show. Uh, wonderful show. Thank you. Um, Councillor Cockrell pointed out that we've had corruption in our city going back to the 30s. Uh, I'm sure she remembers this, but many people don't, that the reason during the progressive era that we switched from a award system of electing council members to an at-large system right. was in response to the corruption of the so-called saloon league yes. that dominated right. city government in those days. But I wanted to ask uh, Councillor Cockrell, what, if any, thoughts she has on what we might do in terms of our ethics rules and our transparency rules to try to reduce the and and process rules yeah. dealing with the, the tow trucks yeah Ed, to reduce Ed, it's corruption. a great it's a great question and it and, and it I, I think it's a question that isn't just about what's going on right now with towing which has been a I think a, 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 a focus of problems and issues in the city for a really long time it, it's the overall it's the overall environment and the overall rules I think that that permit this kind of thing too too easily um, and and we've tried I think in in the recent past to, to tighten them up a little bit but it, it's it's just not enough that's my sense of it Sheila I wonder what you you make of the opportunity to make changes that would prevent more of this stuff well I think there's there's a number of different ideas that that I think could be explored <clears throat> one would be to um, have have city council salaries mirror that of people who are running departments. There's a there's a pretty big gap between department heads and deputy directors and, and city council people. I think sort of making the, um, you know, paying people more would um, reduce the impulse to engage in really trifling levels of, of corruption. Um, that's one thing. Another thing I think ought to be thought about or talked about at least, is getting rid of this committee structure. I, the majority of the time I was in city council, we functioned as a committee of the whole. Let me be clear, in and of itself, it does not um, deal with corruption. Because mm -hmm. I, when I was on council, I, as a member of council, I was on a council with Lonnie Bates, with uh, Kay Everett, um, and Monica Conyers. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's a panacea, but I think a committee structure that only has three people on a committee to be making really critical decisions that can affect um, a developer's, you know, project or a contract uh, that's held is, um, and, and that, and two people can hold it from being acted on for some extended period of time, um, creates the potential for, um, you know, questionable decision making. I think that's that's one thing to take a look at. And I think in going back to a committee of the whole, um, also encourages council people as they represent the specific needs and interests of, of a, an individual district to look at 
the overall impact of policies um, that affect the city of Detroit, not in, and not just in the in a um, in a specific uh, district. So those those are are two things that that could be uh, could be looked at. I mean, the, the the ethics ordinance, but there's also the provision in our in the charter um, is one that says there can be no no gifts, no um, mm-hmm. uh, gratuities of any sort. Most, the model, uh, what do you call it? The model ethics ordinance for um, for the state of Michigan has a gift policy. And what it is, is it's basically about limitations on what can be given to people, like a ticket to an event, but it has to be disclosed. I think we would be better off if we had, a, a, a policy that better reflected, um, you know, what the created an environment where more likely people would feel um, uh, willing to, to would, would be willing to explain, you know, who they're getting, a, who paid for their dinner, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that would be another thing to take a look at, but, you know, at a certain point, it's a question of personal values and personal um, morality, and you can't you can't legislate um, that in, in, with folks. But I say all that, and I want to make it crystal clear. I have you know nobody, um, a council member Benson, council member Ayers, have been charged with anything. There has been a raid performed in the middle of a campaign sure. to collect information, and that really can't get lost. Uh, in the in the conversation, because because there has been a a pattern and practice of corruption uh, in the city that has has history as, as Ed pointed out. Literally, you can go back to the 1918 charter uh, and the reform that was 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 take was pay, taking place at that point to go from a council by district to an at large council. And of course, the last time there was a council by district, there were uh, 24 districts. And each district was represented by two council members. So you then had a check and balance inside a district, which we're clearly, you know, in a different structure now. Um, but I do think those would be things that are worth having a conversation about. Yeah. Okay. As always, Sheila Cockrell, great to have you here to talk about these things with us on Detroit Today. And uh, keep up the great work with, with Citizen Detroit, which is doing so much to, to get people just to know what they need to know before they vote and uh, to understand how important it is. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, we are going to end the show here today. We will be back tomorrow when economic historian Adam Tooze is going to join the program to talk about his new book, Shut Down, How COVID Shook the World's Economy. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.